season. Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 to 6 are perhaps some of the most difficult uh, sayings of Jesus uh, in the whole of the Gospels, but certainly, in the, at least personally, I believe this, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uh, has, uh, in this sermon, has spoken to us quite at length about different elements of the life as citizens of the kingdom. It, the, the Sermon on the Mount is this ultimate sermon on the ethics of the kingdom of God. And I've emphasized this before, but I think it's important to emphasize it here at the beginning for the sake of those who haven't been following. This is not things that were said by Jesus in, to unbelievers. This sermon was preached by Jesus to disciples, to believers. And that's, that's the context in which we need to understand it. Jesus begins now a, a new section in the sermon in Matthew chapter 7. He slightly shifts the topic uh, to the topic of uh, the relationship between disciples. However, I would say that this section is not new, per se. Jesus uh, had already spoken at length about a topic that uh, is parallel to this. We, we saw it, didn't we, at the beginning of, of chapter 6, or towards the middle of chapter 6, that is. Uh, Jesus addressed... Uh, or right at the beginning, actually, and uh, Jesus addressed the theme of hypocrisy. That Christians, that disciples, citizens of the kingdom, are to be sincere. And in a way, as we get to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is dealing with sincerity as well. He picks on the topic, up the topic of hypocrisy, again, not to urge the disciples, to urge us, to refrain from being hypocritical in our judgments, to be to refrain from being harsh in our judgments. What Jesus is condemning in this passage, Matthew 1, uh, 7, verse 1 to verse 6, is that habit that is worldly, that is not righteous, of making harsh, uh, sharp, hypocritical judgments. Jesus is not criticizing, as we'll see, the, uh, the exercise of discernment, uh, the exercise of, of wisdom, of making judgment calls, of choosing between right and wrong. That kind of judgment is not what is in being addressed here by Jesus. The point here is to compare the way that the scribes and the Pharisees in their righteousness that was so perfect uh, judged others or falsely judged others including Jesus himself and to, not, uh, to showcase for the disciples a better righteousness that a righteousness that far surpasses the righteousness of the Pharisees and this is a, a very, uh, what's the word, a relevant passage in our own day. Talk about the being relevant, about, that's the, the criticism so often involved at more traditional churches, you need to be relevant. This passage is relevant, not because, because of uh, 
uh, of anything uh, in the in the church, but because the passage in itself is highly uh, important in our day and age. I'm sure all of us who have been involved in any kind of outreach, in any kind of speaking uh, uh, to others, whether it is in a in a uh, ministry capacity, uh, in the in the ministry, church ministry kind of outreach, whether that is in, in personal evangelism to friends, family, co-workers. I'm sure all of us, all of us have had that situation where someone said, why are you saying that? Doesn't your Bible say that you should not judge? It's, it's perhaps the second most well-known verse in the Bible. It's as well-known to people outside of Christian circles that never actually read the Bible, uh, as it is to people in, in churches. In an age where moral rela uh, relativism, where everything is subjective, uh, you're not allowed to judge. Who are you to say that I'm wrong? Doesn't your Bible say not to judge? It's, it's a sort of a, 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 a catch-all kind of defensive weapon that society uses when, when addressed, uh, when confronted with Christianity. And people love this verse. People who otherwise hate everything uh, uh, about the message of Scripture. They love this one verse. But what does it really mean? Does it mean uh, that we are not to judge whatsoever in any kind of situation? Spoiler alert, I don't believe that is the case, as we'll see. So let's examine the, the passage. Now let's try and draw some conclusions and, and look at other passages of Scripture in order to have a fuller understanding of this, these verses. So let's look at the, we'll look at verse 1 and to verse 5 first, or more, more or less together. I want to deal with verse 6 uh, uh, on its own, in a sense. Uh, but let's look at verses 1 uh, through to 5 first. The text presents us with, uh, with solemn truths, doesn't it? The first truth is a command. Jesus says, do not judge. Judge not. That is a very a simple command, however difficult. He says, do not pass judgment. Part of the reason why I believe Jesus says this is because any human being lacks the understanding and the knowledge to be able to judge impartially. We don't know all the, the details. And another reason that perhaps Jesus says this is because we don't have the power to condemn, do we? We're not God. We're not judges. Such a subjective, reckless, and biased uh, judgment when we don't have the full understanding and when we don't have the power to condemn is reckless. It shouldn't be practiced by the, the by the disciples of Christ. It is the critic the, the, the critical kind of judgment that is being emphasized here, that unfair criticism, that reprehensible uh, attitude of criticizing without love. Incidentally, I think uh, Jesus will address, as we'll see next week, the, the sec in the second part of this chapter, or in the second part of this section in particular, uh, Jesus will address the, the theme of love. 
Don't judge people. Don't run to, to criticize. Stop criticizing. And as we'll see next week, start loving. The problem with the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day is that their criticism, the problem with the uh, modern-day Pharisees and modern-day uh, Pharisee-like mentality within religious circles, is that it is seldom propelled by love. It's always this harsh criticism. It's always this uh, wanting to prop, prop up one's own self Wanting to show oneself to be more pure, righteous, to be more upright by casting other people down. If you push everyone else down around you, you're always going to seem to be the tallest. It's that idea of if you cast darkness uh, uh, around you, you will, you will uh, by necessity, be more visible or be more, uh, your righteousness will, will shine. In a, in a better way. What Jesus is criticizing here is that loveless uh, attitude, that malicious kind of judgment that loves to point a finger at other people's unrighteousness to demean others in order to make oneself look better or greater. When Jesus says, judge not, he is not forbidding any kind of judgment. He is forbidding a hasty, harsh, uh, critical kind of condemnation. And let me bring a, a little bit of the rest of Scripture. What, one of the, the tenets of biblical interpretation, as you know, is the, the regular today, is uh, Scripture interprets Scripture. And when we come to difficult passages, we need to bring the whole of the wisdom of Scripture to bear as much as we can, because Scripture is infinitely wise, uh, and we are finitely uh, limited. Uh, but as much as possible is to try and bring the rest of the weight of Scripture to bear in that one difficult passage. I always uh, visually, uh, I, what comes to my mind is an inverted pyramid. You have a difficult passage and you, you think of a pyramid turned upside down and that's the weight of scripture. You want the whole of the weight of scripture on that point uh, weighing on the first ten is difficult. What does scripture say about judging? Well, in another passage, our Lord Jesus says quite clearly not to judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. So therefore, we either believe that Jesus contradicts himself or we have to uh, understand this command not to judge in light of its context, in light of what Jesus is trying to accomplish here. In fact, even in this sermon on the mount, just a few verses uh, down, uh, just a few moments later, Jesus would say that we are to beware of wolves, that we are to beware of false prophets, that we are to beware of those who, who pre preach a false doctrine. It seems to me that Jesus, even in the, the context of the same uh, sermon, he says that judging can in fact be done correctly. When he commands, for instance, in Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault. He's commanding us to, to judge our brother's sins. 
But the whole goal, and that's the difference, that's the distinction between the scribal, pharisaical way of judging and Jesus's um, kingdom way of judging, the way that he wants us to judge, uh, is the whole goal. In Matthew 18, for instance, is to win your brother back. It's a, it's a, a judging that is propelled out of love, not out of a desire to, to, to put a brother down. Jesus himself, he called the Pharisees, whitewashed tombs, serpents, uh, hypocrites. He called them all kinds of, uh, of names because he judged them. He knew their hearts. They might say, oh, but that's Jesus. Well, the apostles did it. Moses did it as well. And even as a church. One of the three marks of, church, uh, of a healthy church has historically been said to be the exercise of church discipline. In the sense that a church, if there is sin that is unrepentant, sin that is not dealt with in the church, sin that the person is unwilling to let go, the church needs to judge that brother and, and put him off of the assembly. Judging is not wrong in that case. By their fruits you will know them, Jesus said. I, that's, that's clear. So Jesus, when he says here, do not judge, is speaking specifically within the context of righteousness that we have seen, especially comparing the righteousness of the kingdom to the righteousness of the Pharisees that needs to be surpassed. Because Jesus would say, it's not that high of a righteousness, just a make-believe righteousness. So that's the first point. It's a clear command, and there's a clear justification. The clear justification is there in verse 1 as well. Because if you if you judge, do not judge because you will not be judged. So that you will not be judged. He will, who judges will be judged. Whoever sits in the judge's chair, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, will eventually find himself in the dock. Because there is only one judge, ultimately. If you sit on the judge's chair, especially for this kind of critical, putting someone down for the sake of putting them down, you will sit at the dock. If not earlier, on the last day. The arrow, uh, the, the accusation you log will be logged back at you. The arrow you shoot will be shot back at you. That's popular wisdom. It's a glass roof kind of saying, right? Don't throw stones in the air if you have glass roofs. We all have glass roofs. And in fact, well, I'll, I'll leave this for it. Jesus said that we are to be merciful, right? It's one of the, the Beatitudes. The merciful will receive mercy. And, and as often I've said this to you, when you have a clear statement in Scripture, you can most of the time turn it on its head, look at the reverse side of the coin, and it, precisely the opposite is equally true. The merciful, blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Cursed are the judgmentals, uh, the judgmentalists, because they will be judged. That is what Jesus is saying here. He's basically reversing the beatitude. Why would you want to be so reckless in judging? So that's number two. Number one, a clear command. Number two, a clear justification. And number three, a fair standard. 
a fair uh, criterion, a fair com comparison. Verse 2, number, our third point. Look at what, what Jesus says, verse 2. For with the judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you, you use, it will be measured back to you. When you exercise reckless judgment, this harsh, critical, cynical, uh, uh, hasty kind of judgment, make no mistake, that's the judgment that's coming to you. If you measure in, with that ruler, that ruler will be used to, to, to measure you. If you play God in things that only God has the wisdom and the authority to judge, you will be on the receiving end of God's judgment. That's, the, that's clear, and it's fair that Jesus says it in this way. It's stark, it's, it's hard, but that's the problem with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were playing God. The Pharisees thought themselves to be in the place of God, to be God's uh, ambassadors and representatives, and all that they said was, uh, was as if God was saying it. They place themselves as the sole authority. And Jesus says, you will be judged. With the same measure that you judge, you will be judged. You will be measured with the same standard. The rabbis, the Jews knew this. This was a very well established. Jesus is not here presenting anything shocking, although it's radical, especially in the setting in the context of the kingdom of God has come. It is not something that is uh, new information for the, the, the people of, the, of those days. The, the rabbis in Jesus' day, they have this sense that God has a sort of what we would call a, a poetic justice. That God so often will bring about judgment in light of the offense done by the by, this, by the person who, who has offended. For instance, you have uh, Haman. We've been, we've been doing Esther, the book of Esther in the Sunday school, right? Uh, Haman. What was his mistake? What was his sin? And God, in his poetic justice, because uh, he set up these gallows to, to kill off all the Jews, and God overturned it. What happened to Haman? Haman actually died by his own standard. He suffered under his own uh, punishment, by his own measurement he was measured. Again, I need to emphasize this. The point that Jesus is making here is that we need to be merciful. Number one, because God is merciful. Number two, because uh, we are in desperate need of mercy. And if we truly understand ourselves, as we'll see, we would not be so quick and harsh to judge. We're not to be we're not to be judgmental in that way. Criticism often becomes like a boomerang. That's the point that Jesus is making here. It becomes like a boomerang. You, you reap what you sow. Number four, a necessary point of discernment. Verse three and four, there are a necessary discernment that is needed. 
I, I love this passage uh, here. Uh, so often we people think, oh, the Bible is so uh, serious and somber, but there are glimmers of humor, and and I think this is one of them. I cannot help but to to look at how Jesus says this and see, uh, uh, imagine that. Him saying this in a slightly humorous way, because it is a humorous illustration. It is outlandish. It is a hyperbolic statement, but it's but it is a, a humorous. Why are you looking at the speck? In, in, you know what a speck is. A speck is just a, a little bit of the of what comes out when you're cutting a piece of wood. It's just a small thing. Why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank? hanging out of your eye. It's humorous. It would be, in a sense, even funny if it wasn't so serious. Why are you trying to remove that tiny splinter from your brother's eye when you have this beam? The word here in Greek was the word that was used for, let's say you were building a, a roof. That was the kind of plank that was used, a beam. Uh, that goes from one, from the, the top to the to the side. It's this beam, beam, or if you, it's the word that was used for uh, for the wood uh, to build the mast uh, on a boat, the main mast. Why are you looking at the mast? Or why are you looking at the splinter when you have this big mast on your eye? It's ridiculous. But nonetheless, it is how so often we act. We, we pick up the magnifying glass and we start, we start looking at our brothers and sisters. Mm. So-and-so did this. And if we picked up the mirror, we wouldn't need to have a magnifying glass. If we're truly humble, we, we, we wouldn't be doing this because every time we look ourselves in the mirror without a magnifying glass, we see all our, our, our rottenness. But it's always easier, isn't it? To see the speck in our brother's eye than to see the plank of our, in our own. We're, we're often so merciful towards ourselves, so complacent towards oneself, and so unforgiving. That's nature for us. That's how the world acts. And what, that's what Jesus is saying, that we shouldn't act like. That's the ethics of the kingdom of God. With, if you are to be complacent, in, in, or complacent perhaps is not, if you are to be merciful and forgiving, it's towards your brother. It's the, the upside-down nature of the kingdom of God, the foolish nature of the kingdom of God. If we are to examine deeply, to pick up a magnifying glass, it shouldn't be to look at our brothers and sisters like the world does, like the, the Gentiles and, and the pagans and the, and the, and the atheists do. It, it should be to look at our own selves. It's so easy, so natural to us. You know, that's what Jesus is saying. You must have discernment to see things clearly. That's perhaps the best title for discernment. Learning to see things clearly. We need to look at things in a clear manner, to have a clear vision, so that we can actually be uh, helpful to our brothers. Because if you're doing that judgment with a magnifying glass, and you're not doing it out of love, you're not going to be building up your brother. There is a sense that we are to, 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 
that we are called to be holy as a body and that we are to keep uh, uh, close eye on our brothers. It's not because we want to put them down, it's because we want to build them up. Nothing. Perhaps some of us will, uh, will feel like this, like a bitter thing when I say this, but nothing divides the church probably more, or quicker, or more than harsh criticism. Nothing divides the, a body, a, a local church, more than harsh criticism does. It's pharisaical attitude. Psalm 36, uh, or this passage reminds me of, of Psalm 36, uh, of the one who, uh, who was blind to his own faults. He, he was flattering, he had a flattering, verse 2, he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and, and when he uh, hates. So he, he flatters himself in his own eyes. We have examples of this in scripture. David was so quick, wasn't he? When he was faced with that question of, of what kind of judgment should be given to the man who, who, who stole that land. Oh, he was the, 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 the guy who stole that poor man's land. Oh, off with his head. But all of a sudden he realized that the judgment that he made very much in line with the measure you measure you will be measured, uh, was actually his own. And finally, uh, in, this, in these first five verses, before we come to verse, uh, verse 6, there is a, a denunciation, a solemn denunciation. Hypocrites. Hypocrites. Go first and remove the plank from your own eye. And then you will see clearly, remove the speck from your brother's eye. If you truly want to help your brother, if you truly feel like there is a need to judge, take a hard look at yourself first. Search deep down within your heart. If you're Christ, you're going to do this. And, and sound out where the motivation for that criticism is coming. Take the plank off first. You don't want to be a, a, a blind eye surgeon, do you? And imagine having a plank in your eye and trying to remove a speck. The hypocrisy, the hypocrisy of this. Again, I'll say this, because this is part of what makes this passage difficult. Jesus is not saying that we are to have a, a postmodern, secular approach to each other's uh, business. It's it's the the two uh, um, uh, it's the the, the the one thing that uh, is paramount nowadays in our society. My religion is private. My personal life is private. Who are you to judge me? That's not that has no place in the Church of Christ. We're not individuals only. There is individualism, yes, but we are a body of Christ's people. We, we function together as a church. We work together. 
we help one another. So there is a vested interest in all, uh, for all of us to, to build one another up to love and good deeds, to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And you can only do that if you're paying attention. You cannot do that if you come into the church and then don't spend any more time with your brethren. And sometimes harsh words can be said. Not harsh judgment, but sometimes that judgment can sound harsh. Proverbs, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Sometimes it can hurt of a true friend. You see, because the problem is not the act of judging. That's the point I want us to all to take away. The problem is not the act of judging, but the heart and the motivation behind it. What Jesus is saying, don't be critical, don't be judgmental in that negative sense, don't be condemning, self-righteous, egotistical, like the Pharisees are, but be loving. Don't, if you have to criticize, first make sure you understand the root of sin in your own heart, so otherwise you will not be able to help. Otherwise you will not be able to help. In fact, there is a, a clear sense of, otherwise, you could even say, if you don't point it out, you don't love your brother. That's not me saying it, it's Leviticus. Leviticus 19, verse 17. You shall not hate your brother in your heart. And you say, what hate? How, how can I hate my brother in, in, in my heart in, this, uh, in, the, in the context here of Leviticus 19? You shall surely rebu rebuke your neighbor and not bear sin because of it. You see what, what Jesus is saying? That's actually a, a, almost a paradoxical statement here. If you love your brother, you will tell him that he's in sin. Make sure it's motivated by love. Perhaps if one was to make a, a modern translation of this passage, uh, a contemporary translation, uh, the, the gist or the thrust of what Jesus is saying here is do not be critical. Stop criticizing. Because criticizing is never, is never constructive. The, the people talk about uh, constructive criticism, perhaps, but the, there might be a constructive element there, but, but the criticalness uh, when we speak about being critical. Stop criticizing in that way. Use discernment, yes, but, but don't do it. Judge with the righteous judgment, as Jesus said. Not like the Pharisees, but like citizens of the kingdom. And I'll say just a little bit more towards the end here, but let me just address verse 6. I must say that perhaps the most difficult part of this sermon for me to prepare for it was this one verse. I've often looked at it in the same way that you perhaps are looking at it and saying, why is that difficult, Pastor? Why, why do you find it so difficult? I've struggled with it because as you start going and try, uh, start trying to understand it in its context, it seems to not be right in context. Not saying that the message is not right or that the traditional interpretation of this passage is not right. Let me say it like this. 
Traditionally, this passage has been interpreted, as I'm sure all of you have heard it, as don't cast, if a person is overly rejecting the message, if a person is blaspheming, if a person is not worthy of the message, if they're acting like cats and dogs, uh, don't give them the message. Don't cast your pearls before the swine. If you, if you preach, this, uh, if you try to evangelize someone uh, and that person rejects it, uh, someone might, and you're uh, in your trouble, someone might come to you and say, oh, don't cast your pearls before swine. You've done your part. And I'm not going to dismiss that, that interpretation. I think there's much to commend it from other passages in Scripture, but I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here. I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to explain here. And I'll tell you why. First of all, because it doesn't seem to fit. It, it just seems to be a, a, a jarring move. Jesus just said, don't judge. And we've looked at what this judgment means with discernment and all. But then he, he seems to tell the disciples, go, go ahead and judge people with this kind of condemnatory passing of judgment. A commentator, that are, an evangelical commentator that I appreciate very much, he says, he says, it's startling. After forbidding judgment in the previous paragraph, Jesus now seems to require that we judge certain people to be pigs and dogs and not to give them our pearls. It seems odd, doesn't it, to ask a disciple not to judge and all on this very next step to ask them to judge. Most commentators that take the traditional way that we've just spoken about, uh, of inter interpreting this, they'll say, oh, but this part is Jesus starting a new session. This part is Jesus addressing a completely different topic. That's very odd. Because Jesus is following a very logical pattern in this passage. Unlike sometimes preachers in our day, Jesus has a message from beginning to end. And it's all because Jesus never called anyone a pig or a dog. And now he seems to be calling them that. And while Jesus, in fact, did occasionally withhold uh, uh, telling people certain things, what we would traditionally consider uh, casting pearls before, uh, not casting pearls before pigs, um, find it odd. I find it that it's difficult to see Jesus doing it in the way that we usually think of it. Because Jesus was always with the with the worst. Jesus was always with the with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes. In fact, that's the whole message of the gospel. That this idea that there are people who are unworthy of receiving the gospel flies in the face of the message of we were unworthy while we were yet sinners while we were yet still unworthy Christ died for our sins and that's why it's so jarring and, and I think most commentators find it jarring even if they take the traditional approach you come, you come to this passage and say oh but Jesus is introducing here a common sense kind of caveat Jesus is here introducing a, a common sense uh, uh, corrective. But then you look at the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And if that's the case, this is the only common sense corrective that Jesus seems to be using. Because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is the most radical, most shocking kind of message. And I hope as we've been going through it, you've seen how radical and how shocking the requirements of the kingdom of God are. And yet here, Jesus, for the first time in the sermon, and only time, if that's the case, he seems to caveat it. Let me just in, in, elucidate you. It's this idea that Jesus was trying to be reasonable here in verse 6, uh, to bring a little bit of reasonability or, uh, into it. Let me just try and, and, and showcase you a little bit. Jesus teaches in, in, the, in the Beatitudes that being poor is actually being wealthy. He teaches that, that being uh, uh, lacking things is actually having things. That being persecuted is actually a blessing. Never caveat, never gives any kind of prudence, common sense, uh, caveat, corrective, uh, reasonable uh, uh, thing. He goes on to say that being angry is, a, is tantamount to murdering. That lusting, looking at a woman with lust is tantamount to adultery. That divorce is, all, is almost always sinful. That, uh, that he, he puts all of these things, he tells people with, to unquestionably, uh, unquestioningly turn their cheek, and walk the extra mile, do these all things. And Jesus never puts any kind of common sense corrective. And yet here, seems like he's saying there, there is a common sense corrective. I think this doesn't fit. I honestly think that, that the correct way of looking at this, and brothers, if you don't agree with me, uh, uh, you're in good company. I'm the one perhaps uh, uh, going away from, uh, from the traditional exegesis of this, interpretation of this. But I think what Jesus is saying is quite clearly the, the, the result of what he had just said in verse five, uh, 1 through 5. Do not cast what is holy before what is unholy. Do not bring your, do not cast off your brother and sister. He is precious, is a treasure, is a pearl. That's language of Old Testament. The, the, the fact, the, the language that the people of God are a treasure. It's language of, of the Old Testament, and as we'll see, Jesus uses it again uh, later. Jesus is saying, do not cast your brother off like that. He is holy to you. He belongs to the Lord. You must not reject him. He is as precious as a pearl in the sight of the Father. So must he be to you. He paid, God paid a, uh, an infinite price for that, for your brother's life. Don't cast him before swine. Don't cast him to the dogs. I think, I believe, I truly believe that this is the point that is being made here. Lest he be trampled. As they turn and tear you to pieces. Again, the message of being judged with the same judgment. Brothers and sisters, I'll close by saying this. Uh, the call of the Sermon on the Mount. Whether you agree with me or not in this passage. If you don't, I think you have plenty of scripture that proves uh, that proves the, that kind of interpretation as well. To be discerning, uh, to answer a fool according to his foolishness. Uh, uh, and on and on. I think the apostles spoke about being discerning in those ways. But if you don't take anything else from this passage, the main point of this passage in the Sermon on the Mount is a call, a radical call for us to love Christ. And you ask, how, how was Christ, how did he, 
How did Christ act with regard to judgment? He said it to Nicodemus. John 3, chapter 17, after that very well-known passage, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Our call is to be Christ-like. We're not here to condemn the world. We are here to see the world saved. And yes, sometimes discernment needs to be used. We need to point the finger in love and say, this is sin. But it's not the point to condemn. It's to save, to win a brother, to, to win a dying, a dying world. That is the point. If you know this Christ, you will seek to live like him. The one who did not come to condemn the world, but the world that the world will be saved through him. Condemnation was already there. Condemnation is already coming. It's a given. That's what, the, what then verse, uh, the following verses says. And the following verses continue to say that the world already stands condemned because they didn't believe. God sent the light. God sent the, 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 the one who was to, in the context, the one who was, who was coming to heal the sin and of the, of the, the sickness of sin. And the world rejected him. And that's the condemnation. As John says in John 1. That is the condemnation. That they seen that the light was sent and they rejected it. And perhaps the point to finish is, have you seen the light? Have you known forgiveness? If not, come to Christ. Because that's where the light is shining. Have you heard the message of the gospel? That Christ came into the world. Save sinners by giving his life. 